Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you and let you know how much we appreciate you being part of the Ultra Running Guys community because we know there are a million other ways you could choose to spend this time. We love hearing from you. We're always trying to improve. So if you have guest suggestions or feedback, hit us up through social media or reach out to us at theultrarunningguys at gmail.com. And again, thanks for plugging in. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And so a little while back, we decided to start a race spotlight series because a huge part of deciding what your next step is knowing what is out there. And this one's exciting for us because we've had races that we spotlighted in different areas of the country. But this is the first one local to North Carolina, local race director. And so I think it's just going to be a heck of a conversation. So I'm going to turn it over to Jeff. Why don't you tell us what we're talking about tonight? Well, uh, that's good. So I think the fact that we live on the East Coast, and like you said, we talk about um, that it's pancake flat here a lot on our actual show all the time. This race being in North Carolina is going to catch a lot of people off guard because it does actually have 19,000 feet of elevation, which is a ton. That's a monster. For North Carolina, uh, but we're on the East Coast. This is not on the East Coast. This is more towards the middle of the state, uh, where they've got bigger hills, if you will. And so this is the Beast of the East 100 that we're going to be talking about, and it is takes place in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, on the entire trail system of Crowder's Mountain. The uh, 100 miler is a looped course of roughly 25 miles for each loop, and has a total elevation gain, like I said, of 19,000 feet. And since it's a loop course, you also have a loss of about 19,000 feet as well. The course is trails with some fire roads and can be pretty technical at times. Um, I have read the race website personally because I have participated in the 50 miler. Um, the description of the trails that, that you read on that website, it turns out can take you and not take you. It sounds a bit overwhelming. <laughs> I will be very honest with you. However, since I did participate in the race, I want to point out the fact that it is a very well-marked course. You can trust the race director. It is easy to follow along. You will not get lost. Um, and so I would tell you, just trust the race director, trust the course marking. And speaking of that race director, we want to introduce you to a friend of ours. Um, I've met him before. Um, this is Richard Abernathy, who is the race director, as I said, the Beast of the East 100 miler. Dirty Wolf Racing, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Well, look, this has been a long time coming. We're excited to talk about this one. Beast of the East has, you know, attention of a lot of people in the local area and we just really appreciate what you do for the local running community. But I think that this is, we've got friends that are going to be running this. Uh, I think Jeff's most likely going to be out there. I'm planning on going out there because there's a friend of ours that's going to be running it. But so let's do this. We're going to talk about this. This is set up. So if somebody's listening and they want to get in on your race, we're going to kind of break down logistically. What should, what should they expect? What should they plan for? But before we do that, we like to hear from you as the race director what is your favorite thing about the Beast of the East 100? Uh, my favorite thing when it comes to Beast of the East, and it's really near and dear to my heart, I actually grew up on Crowder's Mountain, and that's where I spent most of my childhood at. So I know the trails forwards and backwards. I know where the mine shafts are that nobody knows about. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, what I really love about the race is the community. It feels a lot like it's all the trail runners throughout the entire year getting to enjoy the end of the year race. 
Um, it's also a race that one of my absolute favorite things is that it's a West Coast race based on the East Coast, based on the elevation change, based on how the aid stations feel, how the people love the race, and how they keep coming back every year. Yeah, I I think it's so good. And one of the things that you mentioned, I like that you put it as a West Coast race on the East Coast. And, and I'll be honest, when we started, when we were looking at this, and I looked at the numbers, and I looked at Jeff, I was like 19,000 feet of gain. Like I didn't realize, I'll be honest. And I think of like Grindstone, right? There's a couple of big ones. And I'm like, man, those are the monsters. Those are the ones I'm scared of. And to realize that you're kind of, you know, you've got this race in there. Um, I think it's great to have that kind of challenge. At the same time, I'll, I'm interested in hearing more about it because looked at some pictures. Jeff has been there. How technical is the course compared to, because when I do think of some of the West Coast, right, I think of pretty technical. So it's got a lot of elevation, but is, are we in the same technical arena? Uh, technical is the East Coast part of it, but there is some sections that have no roots that, that you can easily run on. Um, this year I flipped the course so that you do get the easy, smooth pattern mountain the first time up Pinnacle. And then you hit uh, the 161 aid station and then the Boulders aid station. All of them have buffets on those aid stations. I love food <laughs> a lot. I love my aid station captains a whole lot more. Um, and then at the end of the course, you have that rocky section that everybody is so afraid of. So I saved it this year being at mile 20 when you're the most tired. But and a little also, birdie, well, I was just saying, a little birdie told me that you have a photographer strategically placed at the rocks in case anybody oh, were to take a fall. Uh, uh, actually, my photographer is a, uh, she works real closely with Ultra Running Magazine. So she's a professional photographer that I hire. And she's really good at her job. She's also previously an ultra runner that transitioned into photography. And she makes you look really good on the trails. Hey, so, even, so I'm sorry, even, Rob. Let me just, ahead. it does, she is great. And she does make you look good on the trails. Unless, of course, you're somebody like myself, who um, the photographer was there. And the reason Jeremy wants to talk about this on the show is because <laughs> um, climbing up to, I don't know if it was Boulder Pass, whichever one was called which was the it's rock, rock top oh, which one it's called rock top rock top yeah rock top quite literally means rocks uh lots of boulders and so i was climbing up there and i'm good climbing up i was not great coming down and so um being a um naive person with poles i was ignorant on how to use them coming down boulders um and decided that i was going to try to catch myself with poles as opposed to using my hands and landed on my elbows photographer's right there she caught me in the fall uh posted about it it was great to make it better she actually moves along the course and she caught me falling at another one and so i fell three times in the course she got pictures of one president two but yeah we should link those pictures we should link those pictures on this show but um it is i'm going to close this part out it yep. is a slightly technical course um there are it's got some smooth trail sections as well but anytime you're doing the climbing or anytime you're up on the ridges um it is definitely more like running on the appalachian trail it's got some rocky surfaces so it's technical in that regard, there are some routes, but they're not as bad um, as you may be used to on some other more East Coast type ultras that you would see. Uh, but there are some rocks, particularly on the ridge lines that you need to deal. And there are some boulder is bouldering 
as opposed to simple like elevation gain for some of the sections too that you have to be um, prepared for. Not significant bouldering, but there are some sections that you have to do that on. Awesome. The, oh, the real one more thing. One more thing, sorry. And there is one heck of a stairway to heaven of hell that you have to go up in a section of it that is a brutal nightmare of stairs. You're really selling this race. <laughs> it's great though, because again, I'm a flat runner. And so I never experienced something quite like this when I did it. Um, it is an incredible elevation for you. And it's a challenge that if you live anywhere in this area, we would encourage you to check it out because it's going to, it's going to challenge you much like some of the ones you mentioned, uh, like Brinestone and uh, ODU and all that kind of stuff. The, the base of these is really special because I'm, I'm a student of Laz a little bit. I actually picked December because it is the shortest time of year. So I followed the winter solstice. So you have more night running than you have day running. Also, it's during the time of year in North Carolina where we're at, where the leaves cover all the roots and rocks. Mm. So I add an extra... Jeff is shaking his head now. <laughs> I, I add an extra challenge that is a little Laz-ish. I think it's great. So obviously people are signing up. I mean, if it's called beast of the East, right. People are looking for a challenge and Dave Andrade, if you're listening to this, we know you're, you're running. So be paying close attention. Um, all right, man. So let me ask this, how long has the race been around? And then what do you think it is that keeps people coming back for those that, that, you know, run it year after year? Um, well, the truth is it's been around for five years. Before that, it took me three years to get into Crowder's Mountain State Park to a race direct. So I had this idea bounced around in my head for three years. So I was creating all of it. And then eventually park rangers uh, made a mistake of contacting me, want me to buy a permit for a little group run I was organizing out there. And then I said, well, while we're on the note of it, I got an idea. <laughs> they wouldn't let me do the 100 mile of the first year. They made me do a pseudo 50k and we had sabrina stanley the first year that came wow. out so we were already we were already attracting elite people to the race the very first year uh what gets people coming back to this race uh at first i thought it was the difficulty and the challenge but i've heard a lot of runners and a lot of race directors in the area tell me richard it if you run no races the entire year, run Beast of the East, because you know you're a true trail runner in the West, if you can conquer the beast. Does not matter what distance. 100, 50, 25, 15. It's whatever gets thrown at you. Because it has such a mix of everything. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. One of the things that's cool about it is that if, if you're not sure if you can tackle the 100-mile distance um, because, of, because of the challenge of it, there's some different distances that are offered that weekend that um, I'd encourage people to check out. But Richard, um, we, we've laughed about me and some of the things that, I, that I've fallen apart about. Um, I thought I trained well for this race, um, but I apparently did not. Um, in general, though, what do you think runners underestimate about the race itself? Um, and what's, what are some things they should be aware of other than the leaves covering the, the roots like you mentioned? Uh, uh, I think what they underestimate is the cleverness of the challenges of being stuck at aid stations. The aid stations make some very interesting food groups. Um, the 161 aid station has... This past year, we had chicken on a rotisserie spinning for tacos. 
And then that's very easy to get stuck there because of food. And because what race has a rotisserie chicken? I don't, I've never heard of one before. But then the next aid station has vegan maple syrup and waffles. And you hit that, then you eat that, then you come back. And these, all the captains are very, very in sync with the runners because they've all completed some portion of the Beast of the East. So they know where the runners are. They can kind of connect with the runners during the race. So everybody knows what they're doing out there. And every single aid station captain I have is a very, very close personal friend of mine. They are literally my pack. So the, on the, the photographer on the, included. On the note of aid stations, so it being a looped course, how many are there and are they all as well stocked as what you were just saying? Like, is every one of them have something special that's going to lure runners into not getting back on the course? Yes, every single one of them. Um, usually it's between three to seven miles between aid stations. And every single aid station is specialized to have a different food group and something different about that food group. Uh, I think the one that Jeff was going towards before he fell down was Linwood. Uh, it had soups and cookies and fun stuff like that. And later in the night, we had pizza over there, but we didn't have pizza <clears throat> over there at boulders because we were focusing more on a vegan option over there so we we focus on different menus i really love food i'm such a foodie about things well and that's kind of I feel like, go ahead I, I feel like food really makes a race or breaks a race in some cases well, that's what I was going to say. So, is it has to really add to the experience, right? Like I know we, you know, we've talked to Umstead and that was one of the things we talked about there was just the variety and some of the different things. One of my biggest memories. So I would imagine, like you said, rotisserie, you know, chicken is going to be something that when you look back, go, man, you know, that was awesome. However, I would also say to your point, if you're listening to that, know that there's not going to be the same type of options. And so I will, I'm guessing a tip would be that if there's something that you want or make sure you're prepared to have what you need and then use the aid stations to supplement with some deliciousness. But I would probably be say, be careful about, you know, using that as your primary only because you may come across something that isn't your jam <laughs> if it's <laughs> yeah. specialized well if you're looking for waffles and vegan syrup and it's only at one aid station you're not going to be back for another 25 <laughs> miles and so you're going to be hungry it sounds fantastic though it, it does but you maybe it'll motivate you to get you back to the next time you see it you could have it four times <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, so so that was mentioning you know what a, the question was what do runners maybe underestimate? We talked about kind of the aid stations. What yeah. can runners do to prepare themselves to avoid a DNF? And so in terms of preparing technically for the course or logistically, what are your tips? Uh, do your do your science on the race. Come out, run the, run the course. You can't miss the course because it's the entire park. Um, spend time on rock top. Look at the views. You're not losing anything in a day just to go look at the stuff and get familiar with the rocks. The rocks will always be there. Um, take the time to talk to the local runners in the area if you're coming from out of town. You have to do your research on this race. 
The second thing is I've seen a lot of runners, really strong runners. Uh, I'll mention the farmers. They both finished the 100 miler, but they didn't finish the 100 the first time out. They had to take their time and really learn the race. And they are both extremely strong runners. I love the farmers. Yeah, he's he. Um, Richard's talking about Demarion and Carlita Farmer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Carlita was a guest on our, on our show a while back as well. And Demarion is, is her husband that she mentioned on the show too. Both of them have participated in Beast of the East. And Carlita ran the 100 miler the same year I was doing the 50 miler. That's right. I remember. Yeah. yeah. And I have all the respect for those two, but they they did their research. They had to take their time. They had to take years to finish the 100. So a lot of runners that I've seen to avoid the DNS. They spend time on the 25 miler, then the 50 miler. They work up to the 100. This race really changes your your training. So, so, but on that, um, other than me as an example, we're not going to use me as an example. Um, I did DNF the 50 miler. Uh, but when people come to you and they drop from the race, what is it that you hear them saying is the reason that they're dropping? Uh, it, it's a wide selection of different things. Um, they don't think that they can go back out. Part of my job as a race director is to get them to go back out because they are able to do amazing things. They just don't realize it yet. Mm-hmm. Now, barring you know their leg falling off or a broken leg or anything, they're 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 capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. the 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 biggest problem is that they just it gets into their head mm-hmm. because literally the race course is the beast. Not to sound so cliched about it, but it's it's just it was a massively hard course. You just gotta be ready for it. So it's a logistically a internal battle in your head that you have to think about. Mm-hmm. Let me ask this because when I think nineteen thousand feet of gain, um, I my guess is that I am doing more hiking, you know, than than at least any of the other races that I've done. Do you recommend stuff like incline? Because again, I'm out on my course, right? I'm not running Crowder's Mountain day to day. I would imagine, like you said, the advice is, hey, if you've got it, run it. But how, how much do you think incline hikes or weighted hikes or kind of building that muscle structure helps? Do you, do you see hikers doing well on this course? Yes, extremely well. Most people start out with the hiking. And this this year's course you'll be doing more running than hiking. Okay. Because there's no rocks at the start of this race. I had to move the the aid station from Sparrow Springs to what I now have called it the Wolf's Den. So I, I self-proclaimed as part of Crowder's Mountain, the Wolf's Den now. I haven't gotten them to paint the, the structure yet, Wolf's Den, I'm hoping. My, my small legacy in this world. But... Um, uh, hopefully people will run the start of the course because it's a lot easier. I've made the course easier. I've also added two hours to this year. Instead of a 32-hour time limit, you have a 34-hour time limit to this race. Okay. So maybe in my old age, I'm getting softer. No, 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 no. I'm going to follow up though something that, that you said, and Jeremy, based off your question, um, about the idea of hiking and incline hiking. I agree. I think that's a, a very good training thing that most people should be doing. But I would, I would also add... Um, the 
idea of making sure you're doing some form of lunges as well. So the difference in normal incline hiking and that I've often trained with is uh, on a treadmill is that my foot is just going to go up an incline. But if you don't do any, if you do lunges, you'll be using more of the muscles that are going to take you to climb up some of the, the rock sections that you need to go up. And that is a completely different muscle that we are utilizing than doing incline hiking. And so I would incorporate lunges for sure. Um, in any kind of training for this. Or maybe step ups. Those yep. types yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that muscle pattern to lift you up, because it's not always going to be the same step height. Right. Right. Even if you use like a stead, what do they call stair mill or something like that? Yeah, the stair steppers. Yeah, stair those hammer. types of things also are the same distance and height. You want to have some variability or some more depth to it. So that's where lunges can come in, I think, be hugely beneficial for people, which is something the reason like Carlita did so well because she does a lot of lunges. <laughs> right. Little to known fact, if a stair step is even like a millimeter off. It's notorious in like football stadiums. You could easily trip. Yeah. Yep. So we're mentally programmed to step in the same height versus um, what you encounter at a mountain. So stairs. You? <laughs> no, mine was coming. Mine was coming down, which made it even worse. I couldn't step down. Sorry. I, I put ropes over where you're at. You say you did or you will? No, I, I, I have to put ropes up on rock tops so that you can identify where the trail is at night. But people use it to hang on to as they're going down and up. Makes sense. Unless they're all cued behind you trying to rush you. <laughs> <laughs> they pushed me down the hill. <laughs> uh, well, we do have a famous picture of a husband and wife that uh, the husband pushed uh, his wife up the rock top section when you had fallen at and her their official joint trail name is the butt pushers <laughs> I, I, I framed it i'm actually giving it away to a race i'm directing this coming weekend that is awesome that is that is funny so all right so we've talked about certain ways to train it sounds like the aid stations are incredible short days and leaf covered trails um what is do you have any kind of registration requirements does somebody have to run something to qualify or is it a, just a pretty open registration process uh, i like for everything to be equal for everybody because we're all trail runners we're all learning i don't like registration requirements uh obviously start at a shorter distance if you're really new to trail running but I'll leave it up to your responsibility to know what you're capable of. And I just leave it at that. Fair enough. Makes yeah. sense to me. Um, and this race is taking place on December 9th of this year. I know there's still some spots open. Uh, at least that's my understanding. That's correct. It's still, right. Uh, as of this recording, we are at, uh, we have 129 spots left out of 300. Okay. And then the price increase is actually at the end of this month. Okay. So for the sake of listeners who are not going to hear this recording, we are recording today on September 12th. That time frame has already going to have taken place at that point. Yep. So that price increase will have happened. So disclaimer, you know, hopefully we hope for your benefit, right? That the race is sold out. But if you're just now hearing about it, go check it out and see, you know, what kind of spots are open. Um, I mean, at a minimum, if you, if you don't want to try the, the Beast Beast 100, then you could yeah. try one of the other distances to get a flavor for it, um, or you could volunteer. Um, 
one thing though that I, I did, we were talking about this before we recorded tonight. Um, Jeremy and I were discussing the race. This, um, I've run some other ultras where um, I've been on a, on a mountain or whatever on a mesa, and there's been a huge drop off. And um, when I ran this particular race, <clears throat> yes, there are some areas that you could have drop offs, but it was a, it felt a little more safe, if you will, um, because of being um, in the location that was was in the location of where it is rather. And so it's not like a typical mountain race where you're going to fall off the edge and potentially die. At least that's not how I felt. Um, there's one section that's a little dangerous, um, but, and I can't remember the name of the, the peak. I think it's at um, Pinnacle or something like that, but that section maybe, but the rest of the course is pretty safe and everything. So it's a little bit different. So that's something I think people should check out. Um, do you agree with that? Yes. Uh, at the top of Pinnacle, I try to set up a conveyor belt of ribbon to keep you safe. Right. That's the only spot that does have an overlook, but everything else is really unlike running along the side of a mesa, which is what I've done on others. So and intentionally, when we're at the biggest flow of runners at the top of Pinnacle, my photographer is there for safety reasons and for you know picture reasons. But she's there to make sure runners are still safe too. She doesn't just have one job. I love it. Um, so I say that um, <clears throat> just to kind of give people a more of a flavor when we talk about the elevation gain and when they start visualizing what the course looks like. Your website, um, you can go on. You also have a video that's on YouTube of what the course looks like as well. So there's a lot of places you can find out more about how the um, trails themselves look. But let's talk about crew themselves because a lot of ultra runners are going to bring a crew with them to participate. Um, and they're not actually able to go um, to all these different um spots on the trail i mean it is a public park so i guess there's some areas they can get to but what are some things that crews need to consider um, for the race itself so crews can actually visit three out of four of the aid stations the only aid station they cannot visit is the 161 aid station because it's on the side of a road and parking is extremely limited and uh, and we need those parking spaces for uh the aid station staff that's there to uh, visually see the road because that road never ever slows down as far as traffic. So we're also kind of doing traffic control in that spot for safety reasons. But all other aid stations, every single um, crew can visit and mm -hmm. see their uh, runner. Um, and typically pacers can always jump in at the 50 mile mark and above. Okay. And and so, um, are, can you do drop bags at any of the aid stations if you're a solo runner? Yes, except for 161 because of space being limited. Okay, cool. Yeah. But the beauty of that is between Wolf's Den and Boulders is essentially seven to eight miles. You just have that aid station in between. So you're not too far away from your bags. Okay. But, so you're only a few miles away from an aid station, but no more than seven to eight miles from a drop bag if you're running solo. Exactly. Or crew. Mm -hmm. For crew at least, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. It's a very easy crewed race. Well, listen, man, like I said at the beginning, you do a lot for the running community. You put on, you know, multiple races. And so for people listening, I want to make sure, you know, if you can go support, but I I'm interested what does it mean to you to have, and we'll talk specifically Beast of the East, it could be the different distances, but what does it mean to you personally to have runners come run your race? Uh, I get to see all of my friends who I've seen for years and years, who I've known, 
and who I love because I purely love ultra running. It has changed so much about my life. I've been ultra running for 15 years, so I've made a lot of friends and I value all those friendships. And at the end of the race, uh, there's is either a handshake, a hug, whatever, just so that I get to see people. That's cool. That's so what cool. I value the most out of. So it's like a homecoming. That's awesome. Yep. Well, obviously, you know, we're huge on community, both uh, with the runners that we connect with, but also, you know, the kind of the local race director community, the Vagabond Endurance guys yourself, like we just have, I think so many good people that are making positive impact through ultra running. And so uh, I really just want to thank you for what you do there, man. Um, and, and here's what I'll say again to everybody plugging in. If this is your first time being introduced to us because you found us on YouTube or you're looking up uh, the race, just want to say thank you. Welcome. We do have kind of our main podcast show where we do interview style. I'd say, you know, go check that out. Yeah, obviously, if you're part of the ERG family, welcome back. We love you more than you know. Um, but Richard, dude, again, we appreciate We thank you so much for taking the time and we're just honored to have you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm never, ever on a podcast ever. I'm too shy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not believe that for a second, man. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what pictures show up this coming weekend. I plan on riding a blue wolf. There you go. <laughs> Does not sound shy to me. <laughs> That's so great. Well, awesome. I mentioned, so we'll link, uh, you know, put everything in the show notes, your links. Um, you got lots of other races and things. So again, go check out dirty wolf racing, but, um, anything else? Nothing else. I think we said it during the show, but December 9th is a race. And so if you haven't signed up and there are some spots available and you're interested in doing this race or any of the distances at beast of East, check it out. Awesome. Thanks guys for having me again. Absolutely. We appreciate you. And for everybody else, we'll talk soon. Cut. All right. Listen, thank you so much. We recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run, but really, we do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us. We hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. Hit the like button, leave us a comment, um, leave a review, and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up and just show up clean, clean.